Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, bringing you stories from the LAFC community, match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are here today back in Shoulder to Shoulder Studios. We apologize for the lengthy delay between episodes. This is the longest we have ever gone between episodes. Behind the scenes, guys, we were literally right on the doorstep of recording last week when a family emergency stopped us from being able to record. So we appreciate all your patience. We are real people. Real things happen to us. And last week, we just weren't able to have it come together. And we appreciate your patience. But we are bringing it today with uh, an absolute A-lister in terms of guests today. So joining me in the studio here, obviously, uh, with me, co-host, side with me is Christian. Unfortunately, Chris is still working on his master's in Denver and could not be with us today. But Christian and I could not be more happier than to welcome the George Washington of LAFC, Mr. <laughs> Joseph Sacker. Welcome, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is this is a blast. Yeah, this is our first crosspod, too. This hey, is yeah. super pod, super pod. Yeah. <laughs> so there might be a, a better super pod in the works come playoff time. But, um, you know, obviously you all know the man, the myth, the legend, the voice of Heart of LAFC, alongside Jerry, Mr. Joseph Sacker. But... Today, we might be briefly using him for his intellect in tactic and breakdown and his knowledge of the club, but one thing we don't always get on Heart of LAFC that we would like to do today is to dive into his life personally, go a little bit back into the backstory of his supporter culture past, how that brought him to LAFC, and some of the work that he's done behind the scenes for the 3252, both its formation and his tenure as our original president. So we're going to get into all of those things in just a minute, but uh, we do feel obliged to briefly recap through the last few games that we missed since our last podcast here. We've had four games, so we had a 5-1 thrashing of Sporting Kansas City. We had a 6-1 super thrashing of the Vancouver Whitecaps. We had... A very forgettable game against Portland that, unfortunately, most of us will probably never forget. And then probably my favorite of the last four matches, the B-Squad taking it down in Houston. So, Christian, Joseph, your thoughts on the last four games. What have you guys seen? Main takeaways for me, two away matches, two wins. That's great. The one that, I guess the thing that stands out to me is for those teams that have had success, it's either a B-Squad, which is, to your point, that the fact that the B squad performed, and I know that you were at the practice today, Joseph. So I want to hear some of your insights of what you're seeing in terms of the training. But the, the B squad performed after being down three 0 and then El Munir kicking that ball out, uh, and I think kind of turning the energy around on, around the team, and then putting a little bit more self belief uh, in the so called non starters. But going back to the Open Cup, which is forgettable. My thoughts on that is for teams that are paying attention, one of the weaknesses against this team, if you sit in a low block and are able to make it really difficult on us and are patient and take your chances, you're going to have a shot at catching us on a bad day offensively. And that's basically what happened. And I think the bad losses that we've had, and I count RSL last year and this Open Cup match this year, that's what's happened. And it's been two times and it's been two elimination games. So, No doubt. When teams make it tight, when they break down flow, that's when our guys have issues. Right. They cannot deal with the breakup, and they kind of get lost in the game of yelling at the referee too much. 
Right. Rather than focusing on what makes them better, what makes them strong, and punishing their opponent, especially with dead balls, they get lost in the moment. And it's happened several times where, where they're focusing all about not getting that, that call they should have had. And yeah, maybe they should have, but at the same time, you can't play to the ref. You have to play your own right. game. Well, and in a match like this where VAR was never an option, mm-hmm. what good does yelling at the ref do? Exactly. Right. Right. It, it, it's counterproductive, if anything. And we got caught. And, you know, obviously, I mean, if it weren't for Harvey and a misplaced tackle that kicked that ball back. But those kind of things are going to happen. You, it's just going to take more than one shot on goal to win any game. Well, that's football. If it weren't for Harvey running back like 50 yards and sliding and getting that ball, it might have been in the corner. Like, it would, they would have been down earlier. So, you know, it's yeah, give and take. He saved a goal. He gave up a goal. So be <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the big save was a, an issue that he created, too. That's true. So I he agree was cleaning up his own mess on that That's play. true. That's I, true. You know, lately, I've noticed with Harvey as well, the fatigue. And then with a lot of the guys, the fatigue. And it, that match stood out to me as, one, there's fatigue going on. Two, that was like the first time our, our A squad actually got to play together, all of them playing together. For like a month. That's For true. For a month. So yeah, they didn't have true. any familiarity with each other, which yeah. is really odd. But it's true. That is our best 11, by far. But no time. It disrupted our flow, for sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, communication is such an important part of the game. When you have people that you've rarely played with or never played, you know, this type of competition with this stage, it was a bummer. Uh, you know, I mean, it's one of those games that we're all going to wear in our minds and our hearts for a while. But thankfully, we have our absolute demolition of the rest of the MLS to wash those tears away, like this frosty beer in front of me is so good at. That being said, we had a couple other pretty monumentous games that took place within the world of American soccer in that point in time as well, too. We got an extra star. We get to put on our kit, boys. How you feel about that? Well earned. Well earned. Yeah, no, they backed up everything they were talking about prior to the the World Cup. Could not be, yeah. could not be more proud of the USA women's team. And, you know, and frankly, the men's team, you know, making it to the final and, 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 you know, that game, Mexico was the better team. Without a doubt. No doubt. Um, And and they deserve to win it based on the quality of play that we saw. But from where U.S. soccer was even just two years ago uh, until where it is now, I feel like progress has been made. And I will be the first to admit that on this very podcast, within the last few episodes, I was pretty down on the men's team. Um, And they proved me wrong. They stepped up in a way that they're somewhat back to square one, which is progress. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, the doldrums that we had after missing the World Cup was as low as you possibly can get. Guest coaching, random players playing for the team that you know are never going to come back again. To now, honestly, looking at what we have on that field and knowing that the youth players coming up are going to mix in with this roster, things will get better. Not right away, but it will. Players will grow into this job. It would have been great to see Josh Sargent in this tournament. I think it would have changed things a bit. I wish Tyler Adams was healthy because I think that would have changed the dynamics mm-hmm. of the entire tournament too. I, I think every, every, you know, USA fan was screaming the same thing as well too. And yeah, on in one respect, we made it to the finals. We performed well. We're happy for that. But we also beat teams that we should have beaten. Exactly. Right. You know, exactly. And, and, and so, the, 
it, it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other of us meeting expectation and finally, but still being who we have been for a while. But, you know, thankfully with the change these last few weeks in the CONCACAF rules, as far as who's going to qualify for World Cup, we're pretty much guaranteed a slot in, in, in the hexagonal. So, I mean, right. as long as we can, you know, come out in the top half of that, we're into the next World Cup. So I think that's definitely done us a favor from a qualification standpoint. It's, it's done good for qualification. It hasn't done good for quality and pressure situations. So I'm not the biggest fan of this. I right. would rather have our boys earn their way um, just because they need the pressure. They do. You can't you can't get better without pressure situations. And if you're not going to have one, the first situation where you're going to get into trouble is the World Cup. Oh, Lord. That's that's a problem. Well, right. speaking of pressure situations, perhaps this is a great segue away from the international game and to something quite domestic. In Before fact, you jump into that, I know where you're going. <laughs> I would say it took one special play for Mexico to actually score. So the defense, I'd say, was pretty solid in that game. Although there was a lot of pressure put on them, that that play that broke them down, you know, was quality from um, Raul. Jimenez from Wolverhampton. Like if he doesn't stop it and you know a little flick and that taken first time, it, it was it was taken. It was they would be laboring their chances in terms of quality shots on goal, even though they were getting there easily. Um, I, my main takeaway is our defense will be solid, and if Tyler Adams comes and joins the team, he'll be an attacking threat moving forward and I think mm-hmm. we just need to sort out our midfield and who's going to be our actual strikers. Defenders did a great job of defending. Perhaps yes, they didn't they did. do the greatest job at helping move the ball forward. Uh, you know, I mean, midfield play was... It was disjointed. Was yeah. It was tired. Um, it looked tired. Yeah. It looked out of shape. Um, and honestly, after Zardes came in, I think it was just a matter of time. I agree with that. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, I, I agree with you with pressure and I know you had a good segue and I kind of messed that up. I don't want to get that good. point in. It's all good. Yeah. I, I, I love talking the game. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, whether we segue then, we segue now, we all know what's coming. Doesn't matter if we segue well into it or not. There's one thing on everyone's minds right now. It's about 12 miles south of the bank, and it's our trip down to Evil Carson. It has dominated my mind uh, all day this week. You know, I mean, I wake up thinking about it when I, you know, put on my clothes in the morning. You know, I'm thinking about it at night when I, I walk past all my scarves when I get home, and I think about what we need to accomplish this week. And, and frankly, like, I'm sorry. I know it's just a regular season game to some people. It is not to me. This is a must-win game to me. This is a chance to put our foot on their throats with regard to the table. It is a chance to finally assert a dominance that we have only really had for one half of one game. And it's a chance for brand and community as well, too. And we know that they will and do everything in their power to attempt to stifle all of those things on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, And here is our chance to prove that, you know, despite their historical presence within this league their time is over and it's our turn 100 percent, couldn't agree more and yes uh, i've been waiting forever for this one and if you were going to compare this to say winning the u.s open cup i'll be honest with you winning the season series with your with your local rival far more important than the open cup you have to beat you have to beat your enemy right? I, I take that trade off all day anytime yeah yeah <laughs> you own your city yeah you own your city you own your region well, and they already feel it. Now it'll be just be validated versus like on the score sheet. It has to be. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. So, they gentlemen, have to what are you looking to see as far as lineups and tactics? Break it down for me. <sighs> Honestly, I think we're going to go with what we know. Um, from what I saw today, I think we're going with what we know. You can name it off. You know it's going to be beta, except maybe not because Blackman was a standout. 
But, uh, was he? Oh, good. Well, Big time. He's right. so, been progressing. Uh, for sure. here was fortunate enough to be able to uh, attend the training match today yeah, some coach, of us have coach, jobs yeah um, i do too this it's it's i took the day off for a byron training session of all things wow and then i got this heads up last night oh by the way bob would like bob and john are, are on board for you guys to go check out a training session this is the best one for everyone and i'm like dude this is perfect like i just hit the jackpot cuz i already had the day off and i normally would never get this chance so Two training sessions in a day and get to watch my boys play. Summer of football continues, well, yeah. Too, yeah. It's a busy week. Yeah. Good busy week. So from what I saw in training today, competition is high. Guys are playing hard in training. They are hungry for this match. There is no lackadaisical play. There is basically dog eat dog, win the position, win the job. And that goes down for Miller versus Cisniega, El Manier versus Harvey, Blackman versus Beta. Beta. Um, all of those positions, Who's all of those jobs, we're not going to know till they declare the lineup because they were all playing top level, battling for the job today in training. What about Wynn and Dio? Same? Dio, yeah. So Dio and Ramirez were going back and forth. Dio scored a beautiful goal today, by the way. Um, they were switching out as well. So for a while I thought, yeah, it looks like Dio's going to be the starter, but then they just straight up swapped. And... and Ramirez got his moment. And, you know, you could tell in the game, Dio plays it high. He's looking for the goal. Ramirez is playing as an outlet. And yeah. the, just, the role is different. Um, honestly, I think they're going to split time. I think it's play. a 60-30. That's the way I would approach it if I was Bob. Yeah. 60 and to Ramirez and a closer to Dio I when agree. they're tired. Yeah, I agree. Because if you, put, if you put Dio out there and something doesn't come up right, what's your backup plan? Right? What are you going to do? You're going right. to put Fito in and not have Ramirez play at all? I don't think so. I would bet every penny I have on all three subs getting used in this game. Oh, for I sure. I think so. They 100%. have to because yeah. you can't afford to have the fade that we had over there from the first game. And that's in everybody's mind. I mean, one thing that reassures me at the very minimum is that our midfield is night and day compared to last year. Yes. Um, and the tenacity we have with the trio in there defensively, I, I don't think the same kind of lapse we give away is going to turn into a quick counterattack. I think we have the three guys who will stifle at a very minimum or give up a foul outside the box. Um, so that makes me feel a little better compared to last year, especially in that first match when we had that 3-0. Agreed. I mean, look, at, look at our midfield. Like you said, it's now Kane Atuesta. And Blessing. Yeah. And Blessing, who's all speed. We didn't have speed in our midfield as far as I'm concerned last year. Right. We had Phil Haber back there. And Wynn, which is not defensively minded. And Wynn was on short rest as a late signing. Right. right. Right? He wasn't in full fitness in that game. He wasn't integrated into the tactics or anything yet. Right. No, it was raw. Yeah, he's a he's an OG number 10. You know, and, and again, the yeah. back line too. No Segura. Segura is a revelation this year on the back line. I'm sorry, but that guy. I, I will say this. I'll take credit for this. This is before, John, you joined the pod. I called out that that was an amazing signing from watching against oh, Vizel Kobe. Mm-hmm. I was like, this guy has... He has this patience, serene, like thoughtfulness, even in defending at speed, but he receives the ball and he's just booted away unless it's an absolute emergency. He's already looking for the next pass to progress the the offense from the back. He yes. doesn't do it unless he needs to. And his slide tackles don't always kick it out of bounds. He'll look for the sideline. It's not a corner given up unless right. it has to be. Right. So he his mind is always working in a way 
to make the job for Zimmerman easier, but also for his keeper and also just making sure there's an outlet from the back. And I think something that doesn't get said too much is his understanding culturally off the field with Atuesta, I think also brought him in terms of comfort sooner and also the understanding tactically with him coming and helping in the defense and receiving the ball to, to initiate the offense is huge. Best addition to the squad since last year. I agree. I agree because he can slide up, as you said. He yeah. can become a fourth midfielder if you need to yeah. in certain moments. Yep. As if he's a holding mid. It's it's really cool. Also, he can slide straight to the middle, and, and Zimmerman can slide to the right to allow Blackman or Beta right. to move up and hang up there. Exactly. As another midfielder to clog it up. From what I've noticed, the way Blackman was playing today, he was high all game. Like, he was high. Um, and doing well. Um, Not like 42 originals high. You mean he's no, I, I, playing right. yeah. playing up, pushing, pushing the other guys. Not more. Not, not April 20th. No, we're not, we're not, 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 uh, he didn't look half baked out there. He looked like uh full tilt. Ah, um, I like that. Yeah. So he was looking great out there. Harvey was doing what Harvey does. You know, uh, El Munir distribution looks strong today. Good. Again, that's the only thing kind of lacking. So, yeah. so there with these guys right now. It's, it's the hunger. They're ready for it. The last few times I saw these guys play, there was a nervousness and I don't see the nervousness anymore. I see the hunger. They want to take it to these guys. As much as we're frustrated, as much as we're feeling it that we need to get a result against these guys, from what I could tell, the urgency is there that the boys need to get the job done and they know they want to get the job done. I love hearing this because if you rewind the clock to some of our episodes early this season, you know, some of our call-outs were, do we have backups on the flanks? I mean, we talked about that extensively and the apprehension of the team with regards to executing what it was the philosophy, right? I mean, those were three of our, our major call-outs, right? Where who's behind Harvey, who's behind Beta, and and is this team lacking that tenacity, that aggression, right? And and I feel like we've seen some serious progress on all three of those fronts. Bob, thank you for listening to the show. We appreciate you taking our notes. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I mean... Um, I think Vince listens too. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you'll be amazed at who listens to these shows. No, the the family is the family. Yeah. Okay. LAFC family is LAFC family. They're all in it. They all listen. I guarantee you, Beta probably just heard this. Um, <laughs> once he gets out, I know he listens. I know Harvey listens. I know the active guys involved in media are going to remain active. We were laughing today because I took the selfie with Fito, right? He's already following the podcast. Like, they're just dialed in, guys. Yeah. Yeah. They know it's, what's going on. It, it absolutely blows me away uh, whenever someone recognizes us, period, like in public. Like whenever that happens, like I'm so astounded. Like whenever someone sends us a message or an email or, or anything and says, you know, like I listen to the show, like love it, hate it, appreciate it, yeah. whatever. Like the fact that people consume this still blows me away. But, you know, I, it's unique for me because I, I was the fan. I was the consumer. You know, you mentioned you talking about you know, Segura, I remember screaming into my headphones, this guy's right, you know, when, when you know, you're mentioning this stuff. <laughs> and funny. Uh, well, the fact know. that people reached out, because well, we missed a pod last week, and we're like, hey, you guys going to, like, record? Like, I was like, you guys are actually it's waiting? Yeah. And we have a lineup, guys. Yeah. We're a lineup of shows. It, yeah. yeah. And, and we and drop it, them on it, different it, days, which is great, because it, it gets you through the week. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to do one or not, and not the other. No, it's, yeah, listen to everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's the support that we get is amazing, both from the club and from the fan base. Again, and from LAFC each fam. other. 
and from each other without a doubt you know like super pod's gonna happen i have every bit of confidence they're all gonna get together like tonight right if jerry was local right he'd be here no question, but it's gonna you know, be like Comic Con. I feel we like there's gonna be panels. We here. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will. I, you know, we got to do it. It's gonna be fun. It already is. Our episode 100 is on the way. Wow! Um, actually, actually, next week is episode 100. Yeah, we are well aware. We are well aware. Congratulations yeah. to that. You know, I mean, I've said it on this pod before. I'll say it again. You guys were the first English-speaking pod out there about LAFC. Uh, for a long time, you were the only content that so few of us had. You know, and and for me personally, I mean, I listen to the shows religiously, especially during a very dark time. I mean, those shows got me through a lot, and I'm very appreciative of that personally. And that so much stems from you and your personal experience. So what better segue into you and your personal experience? So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to love this, The Beautiful Game, my friend? The Beautiful Game I was born into. My dad started the program at Mount San Antonio College back in 1967. He was on the sidelines his whole life. And so for me, from birth, I was on the sidelines. As soon as I could get outside, my mom had me on the sidelines as a baby Mm -hmm. and have always been a part of it. Um, Once I was old enough to go on road trips with the team, I would get on the bus and go with the team. He was fine with that. I was kind of like a mascot, you could say, for a little bit there as a little kid. Um, going on actual road trips with a college team to rival games and seeing the the highs and the lows, seeing guys get their knees blown out, being in the lockers, being in, being where the medical, medical staff was, the trainers, seeing the highs and lows, seeing the tactics, talking over tactics, growing up with it. It was never anything that was taken away. It was, you know, with my daddy, he needed to vent, right? So it was cool. He'd vent it with me. Um, and we'd talk the game. And whether it was Bundesliga, whether it was Scottish Premier League, whether it was, was Liga MX, it didn't matter who was playing as long as they were playing the game. And so we would go, we would support. And as a young, young man, your options were very limited as to what you could watch, so you'd watch anything. So you get so to see a lot of styles. What were some of the clubs that you would follow? Wow, so uh, Bayern is one of them. Well, you're wearing the kit, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the rare times you're going to see me in a kit other than LAFC. Um, that was pretty common in terms of Mexican League, everybody. Um, there is a slight connection to Cruz Azul. Um, I fell in love when Cholos first started up and had that magical run. Yeah. That was probably the greatest thing I've seen in a long time for football, to see a team do that. Mm-hmm. So early in their existence, really. Um, we know the highs and lows of their history, but it was just it's magical to see it. Local game, if somebody was playing, we were there. So probably the first jersey I ever had as a kid was an Aztecs jersey. No way. I was tiny. Dang, that's the OG. jersey was as tall as me, but <laughs> we were there. You know, At the same time, my dad had a season ticket to see the California surf. Both NASL teams were going to both because wow. why it's there. You have to support it. And so I was always taught as a kid, if a team is here, you have to support it till it dies. Because one might catch. That was the mindset my family has always had is we need a local team. We need a local team. We need the national team to be stronger. So we've always treated the national team as if it was a club team and, and gave it that kind of respect as well. And, of course, my dad was from Germany. Of course, we watched Germany. We rooted for Germany. But for him, he's like, America gave us opportunity. got to support America. Yeah. So speaking so, of supporting yeah. clubs until they died, why don't we dive into Chivas USA uh, and your – transition from being a fan of many teams to being actively involved in supporters group and supporter group culture for an MLS team. 
Ah, okay. So my football began, of course, on the tactical side of things, mm-hmm. the sporting side, playing, coaching. That's where it started for me. But for active support, I was always just been there naturally as if it was just a part of the game. It wasn't anything special. didn't have a name. You just did it. We'd travel to games where people gave it a name, you know. Um, so Chivas USA comes around. Now, mind you, I was a season ticket holder with the Galaxy, boo-hoo, in 96 because that was the option, right? And we followed them religiously, and I missed all of one game for them until they moved out of the Rose Bowl. And the minute they moved out of the Rose Bowl, their whole mindset changed from being a community team to being more of a corporate team. They doubled their prices. You went from knowing your ticket rep's name and your ticket rep knowing who you are to asking you simply for your account number. It, it was local team to a monstrosity that's owned by somebody far out, and don't they don't care. Um, so for me, you know, the early days, I felt very connected with them, the Cienfuegos days, the Kobe Jones days, because it did feel like the city's team. They did. They had the vibe. It was right, and they lost it going for big money and once they went into Carson and built that stadium they got a different attitude the fan base changed the fan base definitely changed over time it, I mean, we couldn't it afford it, it out, to be yeah. honest yeah. like it, it got to the point where you know we had to drive 50 miles to go to a game and the ticket price was twice as much that's not good that's not cool and it's not cool to honor it you know not honor your fans that got you there that's disgusting as far as I'm concerned you know, you support the people that get you where you're going. And well, they've you, never been a club of the fans. Ever. Ever. So, you know, they move. We follow a lot less than we did before because it's just, yeah, one of those situations. We were sporting a lot of lower division teams at the time as well because there were some local teams popping up and they needed it more. It was always who needed it more. Well, another team came around and clearly they did need it more. Um, and that was Chivas USA. And at first, I hated them. First year, I I enjoyed watching the Galaxy thrash them because the attitude sucked. It was goodbye fo- goodbye soccer, hello football. Well, if you're saying goodbye, you're saying goodbye. Um, that means that you don't want one versus the other. So the messaging was very much, rather than embracing people, was pushing people away. Right. And so I'm like, well, if that's how you're going to start out, then you're not going to get me as a fan. Plus, you're segmenting the market for no reason. For, for no yourself. Reason. It was, it's like some personal pursuit from some rich guy that's a thousand miles away. Right. Really? That's what it was. So first year I was like, this is disgusting. I'm not going to root for this. It's borderline racist as far as I'm concerned, uh, because you're only going towards one fan base. Year two comes around, coaching changes, team changes. They start turning into an actual MLS team with MLS coaching and marketing changes. Now it's bilingual. It's trying to mistake or correct a mistake. Um, and we noticed it. We noticed them trying. So I'm like, okay, fine. That's cool. I still didn't buy in um, until I went to a game where they were playing Osasuna of La Liga at the time. And went, all right, let's go check it out. And it was like Bob Bradley's first exhibition match. And so I like Bob from Chicago. Bob's Chicago team was one of the most inspiring teams I have ever seen in 98, winning a championship in their first year with players that I could recognize from 94 World Cup, mm-hmm. uh, that I could recognize from Bundesliga. As you're sitting on those players from the 94 World Cup exactly. right now. Exactly. That's the most inspiring thing I've ever been through. So, <laughs> um, and, and seeing what he was trying to do and the players he was bringing in went, okay, this is a team I can get on, not because of some marketing scheme, but because of the football. 
This is doable. I go to the game and notice that the fans are into it. They're chanting. They're not on their cell phones. They're watching the game. Even the kids are watching the game. There's an investment there, even with Jeeves USA. Didn't have to be a big crowd, but it was a crowd that cared. A crowd that had a passion for it. And I got to talking to Julieta Castro, who became my sales rep after the fact and actually became a very close friend and was instrumental when my dad finally passed away um, helping us through. So she's still a close friend of the family after all this. And so she reached out to me and said, well, why don't you give it a shot? You know, like, come on out, you know, get your tickets to another game. Just go for it, you know, like basically we need fans and we have this product that's actually going to be good this year and they're a competitive team and they care and they are at that point putting money into this team and and what do you think and my dad he was like well I watched every game you know even though you're mad at it I watched every game because I saw the players and that was it's about the football we've heard football first from several people he was definitely a football first type so we gave it a shot you know we went and at that point was in you know, we were into it. And it wasn't at the expense of the Galaxy or anything like that. It was just this team needed it more. At the same time, Beckham comes in. And my my moment to sever ties with the Galaxy was actually when Beckham came in. As others were jumping on board for the, the, the flash of a star player, to me it was an absolute turnoff. Because this was a team that had, again, won some cups, had built a history for themselves in this town as an L.A. team. And the first chance they get for a player, a single player, they completely throw their identity away. All to chase a star. And again, double their ticket prices and act like they didn't need the rest of the community anymore. They needed, the community needed them. And they went after an international market. They were trying to get that. They obviously big splash, big signing. You know, I mean, there was, there was, you know, there was a lot behind it, but, you know, I mean, I think people forget some of the optics around that. I yes. mean, he was not highly revered at the time because of his famous back kick in the World Cup and his red card and right. all that that had happened before that. I mean, their initial ad campaign, I remember when he first showed up, was it was all about a rebirth of his own image and character as well, too. The whole thing was so confected. Yes. Like he had burned this bridge with Europe and now he'd come to the United States to to rise like a phoenix from the ashes of his mistakes and he was here to to make the MLS a thing. And, and it all came across as very condescending to me as a consumer at the time. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they thought that if they just threw a star at us, we'd all fawn and go for it. But the football community went, we know who he really is. He's not that big of a deal to me. Yeah, the global um, casual football fan was made aware of the MLS because of him, but I'd say I agree with you that domestically everybody was like, all right, I guess we get to go see him when they come into town. And more people were looking at him in his underwear than looking at him. Well, yeah, well, I, I, and I think more people honest. knew Posh than he knew David yeah. in America. Yeah, well, especially in L.A. Yeah, so... Again, you change your whole colors. You play a practice game against Real Madrid because you now have him, and the next day now your home colors are white. Right? I mean, that's pretty much their identity has been tossed for whatever can be the quick buck at the moment. I can't buy into a team like that. I just can't. It's, it's, it's a slap in the face to everybody that built them up, as far as I'm concerned. So for me, I have a team that, yes, I know the Guadalajara tradition is there, but I have a team that wants to play football and wants to build a team team. Another team that wants to build star power. What do I want to jump into? 
Ticket pricing, of course, was completely different as well. It was dirt cheap to go to Chivas Games. And and they were open to active supporter culture because you had Legion on the north side going completely nuts every game. But Legion was there for Guadalajara. Legion was there, to me, to recruit from what they could there from Guadalajara fans being there like it was, well, it's just an extension. It's a satellite. But there was nobody there that was just for the MLS boys. So how did you get involved with supporter culture with Chivas, and, yeah. and how did that grow uh, to the foundation of a new supporters group? Yeah, how did you change what Legion was trying to do, or add to add a new layer uh, yeah, to it? Yeah, it wasn't ever a thought of us going against Legion. Yeah. That, first and foremost, I have nothing against Legion. They have their passion, they have their history, it's absolutely amazing. It wasn't us against them, it was, it was us feeling that this team needed more respect. Those that wanted to create a supporter culture looked at it and said, this team deserves more. They, we need to be the guys that are here 24-7 because if Guadalajara comes to town, we're not rooting for Guadalajara. Our stripes will be the local stripes. And so that's what we did is, is basically it started on chats like Big Soccer, which I don't even know they're around anymore because who the heck would go on there, right? But Big Soccer was a thing at the time. It was very popular, so everybody was on there. All supporter groups at the time were on there from around the league. So that's where it first started was a chat in there like, man, this team deserves more. It stinks that people disappear when Chivas has big games on TV. Because it's true. There's a big game in Mexico going on. Nobody would go to the Chivas USA games because it would clash. So we were like, we need to be the guys that are there every game. We need to be the guys that are there for 90 minutes. And we need to be something that's, that's accepting to all cultures, all styles. And so the Union Ultras was born. And it started as the San Patricios, which was a name we didn't create. It was actually brought on to us by an employee at the time. And within three months after being San Patricios, we went, let's vote for something new. And so Union Ultras came about. And uh, I had a big part in that because I was actually inspired by a group called Ultras Union based in Salzburg. Hmm. Of all places. Wow, I could have swore I was just there. You just oh there. wait, I was just there. Yeah, uh, that was one of the one of the groups that inspired me. Similar name, right? Um, but also the history of, of Guadalajara and the connection back because their first name was Union before they were Club Deportivo Guadalajara. So we're like Union sounds cool, and Ultras is more of a Euro-based sound, Euro-based style. It's not a hincha, not a bata. But ultras, and they said, why ultras? Well, because we're, we're a hybrid, so you're going to see the optics of ultras and the sound of a hincha, and you're going to see a hybrid. That's what we wanted to be. We wanted to be welcoming to everybody and to give everybody a chance to do what they do best in the City of Angels. So that's when Union Ultras was born. And a lot of the familiar faces, like Ray and Julio, they were our drummers in the early days. Um, myself and a gentleman by the name of John Sandate, who's actually drumming in the North End. He's not involved in any of the politics or any of that, but he's still there every week. Um, he's, he'll be at the next home match. He just comes in, does his thing, and goes. Um, him and I were the first presidents of the Union Ultras. And uh, we decided to do things different and travel to cities like Fresno against smaller opponents for cup games and just be there. Be out there, support the local community, and and do something a little bit different. So, what was that like watching that sort of slowly fade and then expire? Because that's uh, you know we can all speak to this as, as you know everyone here is a thirty two fifty two member. You know 
we know what it's like to pour our passion, our awante for 90 minutes. You know, what was it like to see something that you put so much love into expire? It sounds funny, but I think most of us were ready to let it go. We were ready for the next thing. Um, it had become so poison with Vergata that at this point, you know, I was in Black Army. Ownership? Yeah. Well, I, I guess before... Before we, before we can go to, to the death of the club, like... Yeah, before that, I, how, how did that Union Ultras become, um, I guess, two different factions? Yeah, there's a split. Yeah. Um, I mean, long story short, there was a difference of opinions. There was a difference of how things are operated. Um, but same passion for the team. Passion's passion. Yeah. Yeah, passion's passion. Um, and I don't even think it was a fight over style because we each took elements... You know, for for the Union Ultras and now now District Nine Ultras, the Euro style is still mixed in with what they do. Um, they are a bada, predominantly a bada, but there's still ultra tifos coming out and ultra style coming out, so it's still there. Um, and for Black Army, you know, we did songs in English and Spanish, no question. So mm -hmm. we were doing bada sounds, but the optics were much more ultra, much more much more Euro style ultra. Um, and it's just, I don't know if it's comfort level, but that's just where, where it went. Um, for me, well, a team that's always inspired me has been St. Pauli and their supporters were black and, and it, it's more of respect to the team. Like you don't have to wear the colors cause you're on a mission. The blackout idea or mentality is basically you're giving your all. It's almost like, uh, a, a separate order altogether for the sake of your club. So you do more. So describe the origin of the crest, the origin of the name, um, you know, and, and, and how you came about, you know, with the ideation of all that. The name Black Army? Black Army was a choice of among a list of names that I created. Um, probably 40 different names. Wow. You guys know me. I get kind of crazy with these sort of things and go off on a tangent. So there is probably about 40 different names and a group of us who had, had broken away to create something different met and we fired off and hammered off all the names and voted it in. I have the ballots still, like the, the lists and the votes. I still have for Union Ultras. I kept all that stuff. It's, it's history. You know, one day that might be something that shows up in a museum. You never know. So right. I might as well keep it. So I have all that stuff. And basically we tabulated it out over a matter of about two hours, three hours. It was quicker than I expected. And I said, well, black because we love the color black. It's not a color that's naturally with the club. And... Yeah, a little bit of punk rock mindset, because that's always been kind of my thing as a kid, right? Um, so the black won the day. And the army was, well, we're an army. You know, like, we want to be an army. We believe there should be an army of supporters supporting this team, even though there isn't one right now. So we might as well think big, act big, because if you think big and act big, good chance you'll become big. And the crest. Describe the origin of the crest. Well, the original crest was a demonic goat. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw it with American eyes. So that was a connection to Chivas, but at the same time, the eyes are very American because it's Chivas USA. Um, the goat was a, a kind of a tattoo design uh, that just ran. We ran with it. You know, it looked cool. We stuck with it. But over time, of course, Chivas died. It went away. And the hammers had already been showing up within our group um, because our focus was always on working class fans. Certain teams in town priced out the working class fans and didn't care about them. But Chivas USA always did. They always looked towards the fans that needed it. 
to get there. The focus was on your passion more than your, your wallet. So for us, that's where the hammer's come about is because working class um, values, working class support, and working hard gets you where you need to go. So how did Chivas USA's expiration play out within supporter community? What was it like to experience that? What were some of the things that were going on within the supporter culture of Chivas USA as the team was coming to an end? Well, we were dealing with a team that we tried to help but couldn't help themselves. It had gotten to that point. Two owners were on board with us. And if anybody ever sees the jersey that never was, because it's out there, it's floating around, it was black and red. It was our colors. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I want to see that jersey. I have one. I got one. It's pretty cool. Um, but basically, we, we were there to help a team become an L.A. team and truly embrace the city as it should embrace the city. Um, and, again, half the ownership was on board. The GM was on board. The local-based employees were on board. But I can tell you the Guadalajara-based employees and Vergara thought we were basically cancer and did everything they could to make it hard on us from censoring our flags and TFOs to just making things hard on us. So we were at war with half of our club. I wouldn't say with our club. It was with half of our club and it was employees of the club that were loyal to somebody who wasn't even here. And so we went to war with him. And how punk rock is that, right? Going (laughs) after a billionaire. So we did crazy campaigns like, oh, we want to buy the club. And just to create that mindset, right? If we can buy the club, if we can, it's kind of like the pro rail guys now, right? It's probably not going to happen, but you might as well put it in people's heads like, hey, imagine owning your own club, you know, that mindset. Uh, to flying planes over the stadium during a game against the Galaxy saying Vergara out, Fuera Vergara, and doing a GoFundMe campaign to make that happen, which we can thank a few people from around the league for that one because amazing who donated on that campaign. Um, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was a community going after this guy. Um, but sadly, um, he did his best to get rid of those people who were loyal to our side of things and wanted to make him a mainstream team um, and basically forced the other two owners out and got a nice profit off of it from MLS by holding a team ransom. That's the truth of it. He t- held our team ransom he did. for a payday. No, he did. Um Everybody asks, well, why don't you just leave? Well, why would I leave? It's my team. I support the players. I support the guys that are putting in the work every day, the training crew. They're local boys. They're people that have a job. There's 40 people in that front office that have a job that you're going to take away. So why am I there? It's for the locals that aren't getting respected by an owner that's distant. So is this where your initial partnership with supporter culture with Cross MLS began? where you started establishing some of those ties that have been so fruitful nowadays with other MLS clubs? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we were very connected to other groups because of the struggle in many cases. Um, when When we were targeted and when they tried to get rid of us, several clubs that are still around now started putting Black Army banners up in their stadium. That's amazing. Which is trippy. And then mailing them to us after the fact, which is even weirder, because one, one of the coolest ones was Detroit City FC making banners for us and marching with our stuff in Detroit. Really weird, right? That's a fun fact. Yeah. Um, Vancouver Hopefully not us. because of that, I want them to be in the league. Vancouver backing us. Well, DCFC doesn't want to be in the league, so oh, they have really? no interest at all. <laughs> well, they, Detroit, they'd lose, they'd lose what they have, and it's a beautiful thing. I see. Um, yeah, they would lose it all because the guys that want to be MLS don't want them truth be told so we had a lot of support from around the league because we were embattled 
And so when we travel and we say you're Black Army, what happened then still carries on. So there's a lot of parlay that you get on the road where you're not going to get into any sticky situations because they know that, that history. It's there. It exists. It's not going to go away for Black Army. People need to know the, our loyalty. Chivas died. Um, we are widowers to that club. But honestly, like welcoming widowers, like by the time it was all said and done, we were already doing TIFOs for our Los Angeles soccer club using black and gold. Our last year, we had a black and gold TIFO, guys. You can look it up. And it said Los Angeles Soccer Club instead of FC because we wanted to move on. We were ready and we knew it was going to happen. We knew there were people that wanted to create something new. And we didn't want to miss it because we knew that they were, they were looking at our plan of making a local-based team. And it fit us. So there's no way we were going to miss out on, on, on searching for that. I think you guys were some of the earlier adopters of what the rest of the world finds in a local football club, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And not to this country's fault. They didn't know what that was until some of these other teams around the country were doing it, but not at the MLS stage. And you guys were trying to bring that to it. Right. And then maybe some of them were doing it, but not recognizing it wasn't a bigger city like LA. The fact that this ownership from Mexico was trying to stifle that, to me, doesn't make any sense. And he would have had the bragging rights nationally, internationally to mm-hmm. say, like, we took over the city that was at one point a galaxy city. And now it's on the brink of being done by this new LAFC club because this opportunity was always there. And the, the people were wanting it. Like, I wanted something like this my entire exactly. life. Similar to you. Like, I grew up basically at the park yeah. every weekend. Yeah. And I wanted to have that experience where I would go to a team and I'd become emotional just walking into the stadium just because I felt like I had an outlet and I had a, uh, a sport that I loved. And, you know, a lot of effort, money, and time put into it by the ownership and the, you know, the fans were going to give the same thing back. Right. That energy, that, you know, that, that, that back to the team to be able to, you know, make them feel like they had to get this win at home. Exactly. And it's not a sales pitch. Right. When you look in the mirror, you see LAFC because LAFC is you. That's how it should be. That should should always be that way. Um, if you don't have it, you don't have a club. That's not really a club. That's just a franchise. I think that brings us to the end of episode 27. We are going to come back in episode 28 and we are going to discuss uh, Joseph's role with LAFC, but thank you for taking us through your history and taking us through all the way up until uh, the death of Chivas USA. So with that, we are going to call it an end to episode 27, and then we are going to piggyback the release of this episode with episode 28, uh, where we will dive into your first presidency, uh, the formation of the 3252, and we'll take us uh, all the way up through our current game coming up next week against the Galaxy. So thank you, Joseph, so much for joining us for this episode, and thank you for staying around to record our next episode with us. And with that... Take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Fill the force up a supernova. Stay flying at FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that.